Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Word in Your Ear is supported by Packed Coffee, who've just posted some of their energizing and flavorsome wares to us and a very happy experience it was all right one of the ones i got said had hints of chocolate malt milkshake for god's sake which i noticed that myself actually did you top notes top notes it made me feel achingly fashionable whole new experience it is the whole thing is like a psychedelic world that you can enter 15 different flavors like fruit and nut espresso and uh, one one i think a taste of bourbon cream so this to me dave is is just a (laughs) <laughs> it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. You and I are all We grew, we up, in grew up in the land of Nest Cafe and Maxwell House. We we did really. Birds Instant Mellow. <laughs> Digestive biscuit probably dissolved in it, you know. And uh, horrible stuff that made you feel kind of kind of nervy and edgy, didn't it? You know? And I can still remember the, the thrill of going to America for, for work a lot in the 80s and discovering the rocket fuel they served out there. What a key role thing. it seemed to play in, in cultural life. And, and do you remember, you know, the various sitcoms that centred around the idea of coffee? Absolutely. They're all coffee-centred, aren't they? Quite yeah, a they number are. of them. Completely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. even Cheers. You know, there's a lovely line in Cheers I can still remember where somebody goes into the bar and Sam, Ted Danson, says, do you fancy a drink? And the guy says, what have you got? And he says, coffee. And he says, anything stronger? He says, yesterday's coffee, which is genuinely <laughs> good. Frazier's uh, Cafe Nervosa, I think, beats even French Central Perk as a sitcom's leading coffee-centric dramatic hub. And I love those incredibly funny and self-lampooning kind of rituals that Frazier and Niles act out when they're in there, and uh, which send up their magnificent pretensions. In one episode, Niles, after looking aghast at the baked item that he's been served, says, there are a number of things wrong in this muffin and I, that I don't care for. Away, wrinkly thing. Absolutely. And he orders, a, it's great, he orders a double cappuccino, half-calf, non-fat milk, with just enough foam to be aesthetically pleasing, but not so much that it leaves a moustache. Absolutely. I love the fact that it matters so much to him. And yeah, it, yeah. Does. it does. It yeah. does. And if you yeah. fancy taking advantage of this packed coffee deal, and you would be foolish not to, Go to packedcoffee.com, that's P-A-C-T coffee.com, where you can get 50% off your first and third orders and uh, create your your flexible coffee subscription and enter your code, your ear, 
at the checkout, Y-O-U-R-E-A-R. And they put the name of the farmer on each packet so you can trace the coffee all the way back to the place it was grown, if you feel so inclined. And as we said, there are 15 different flavours delivered directly to your letterbox. That address again with all the info at packedcoffee.com. Give it a whirl and you will never need to sleep again. And now back to the show. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So we're recording this on Record Store Day. And from what I gather, Mark, what you're supposed to do on Record Store, I was just reading something about about people uh, camping out all night outside a record shop in Cornwall, of all places. I, I read that too. I thought I was so impressed that people still do that, actually. Well, they never did that back in the day when no, there were loads of record no. shops, did they? And... and uh, but, but they, I suppose they, they, it's the completest, isn't it? You know, that if you're collecting a particular band and they're producing a one-off, never-to-be-repeated special item, special record store day, you'd have to make sure you got a hold of a copy. You know, I mean, why else would you stay up all night in a sleeping bag? I really don't know. It's really odd, isn't it? Because it's kind of, it's the invention of rarity, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because it's trying to make up for the fact that actually everything has never been more available yeah, it is right now. There has never been a time when it's been so easy to find things as it is now. Therefore, we invent some rarity around the around the state. And I, listen, I don't blame independent record stores. You know, they want to get behind it. It's, it's a day where they're going to do really well. But I, I kind of can't get my head around it as a customer. I can't get my head around the idea that you queue up all, all night. And then you're going to spend what fifty or a hundred pounds or something like that—quite a significant amount of money on on a, on a load of records, largely because they're rare. Um, you know, because my um, my memory of the record shop is that you know it's a place where you just went in hundreds of times before you could afford to buy anything around. at all. I hung <laughs> around, debating around. for days whether or not you could afford thirty-two and six or whatever it was. For- yeah, absolutely. Oh. Bank so um, when I think back to you know the, the the record shops that have played a part in my life, that's what we'll we'll talk about. Here, oh, go okay? on, yeah, come on. So the one that still looms largest in my in my history, my personal history, was actually the smallest place. It was a kiosk, effectively. I don't know if you ever had this down in Fleet, Hampshire, but up north, <laughs> up north where kind of, um, you know, cinemas were a huge, um, a huge deal. And so cinemas had been built in the 30s and whatever, and quite a few of them had had kiosks to the side of the cinema where you bought sweets to no, go into the cinema, okay? And so this was a place in Wakefield where the kiosk was now a record shop called the Record Bar, you know, it's kind of a classic 60s name. Tiny little place, just about a room for two customers in the shop and two people behind the counter. And I remember the two people behind the counter because they were called Ken and Betty. Here I'm going back an awful long time. I can't remember the anybody behind the counter of any other shop that I ever. How used old would Ken and Betty have been? Because they their names suggest that they were not hip young groovers in uh, 
kipper ties and flares. Well, they were probably only in the late 20s, early 30s or yeah. something at the time. But to me, they seem to belong on the distant shore, of, you know, where adulthood uh, resided. They seem to me more like kind of Frank Sinatra people. Anyway, they were really nice people and they, were, they very much cultivated their customers. And you used to go in the, in the record bar. And it is no exaggeration to say, Mark, in 1966-67, when you went to the record bar and you went to the new releases rack, and there wouldn't be many new releases. There might be 10. But you would read every word on the cover yeah. of those records. Absolutely every You were so ravenous for information and entertainment <laughs> of, of a rock-related nature. Absolutely. I know. I know. And, and I, you know, Nothing can ever bring that back for me, you know, no. because that was, you know, the magic of records was was intimately bound up with their scarcity, uh, or or the fact that you couldn't afford them. You know, there were luxuries just up far above you. You know, so when I think, what would I, what would I most like to see in a record store day nowadays? What would get me excited? I don't know, it'd just be probably a copy of Five Live Yardbirds or something. Yeah. I used to just look at it and think, I wonder what it's like to listen to that record. I can't no. imagine what it's like you, to listen you would, to that You record. would hold them and you would, you would try and, try and yeah, you'd just try and work out the sound of it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Because you had no other way of playing. It was not going to be on the radio, you know, <laughs> unless you'd actually say to them in the shop, could you put it on? Which yeah. I do remember that being the thrilling thing about Virgin Records. My my two record shops, I think, very briefly was, 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 were Clark's Records in Fleet, New Hampshire. Oh, what was that like? What was Clark's? Uh, oh, Fleet Clark's was in the mid sixties. I mean, it's a classic, an old uh, electrical shop selling Hoovers and two bar electric fires and all that kind of stuff. A little tiny, we talked about this, a little tiny record booth in the middle, and a guy who looked like uh, Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits in a really cool haircut and a little tiny button down shirt with a with a with a um, with a with a tie, and he would get out his box of singles. And you could recognise the, um, you know, the the colour of the paper from the, you know, exactly which records they're going to be. The Beatles oh, were right. green because they're part yes. of it. Yes. And I can remember the, ch the the change culturally when I started going to places like Virgin Records, which I I seem to, I seem to remember going there in the spring of 1970 to get Van Morrison's Moon Dance. Do you yeah. remember Virgin in Oxford Street? Oh, I do. You went up a little uh, flight of stairs. It was above Shelley's shoes. Downtown or Shelley's shoes, one of the two, wasn't it? All uh, right. You went yeah. up a little flight of stairs, and they had these listening booths, and uh, and they also had uh, masks, I think, with, uh, with 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 headphones and stuff. But me and my friend Nick, who had no shoes on, I can remember, he had a pair <laughs> of loons, and and, and and it was barefoot. <laughs> Come all the way from Notting Hill Gate, barefoot to hear <laughs> Van Morrison's Moon Dance, and we walked in. We had no intention and, and no capability of paying for it. Actually, I can remember we heard it three times in this little booth, and I can remember the other records on at the time it was on the boards by Taste was there, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Black Sabbath, Deja Vu. Ginger Baker's Air Force. I can still picture that 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 whole front counter, spring 1970, and that was so thrilling just to sit there with these very cool people, with their fabulous long hair, kind of giving you the thumbs up, and you'd wave at them when you want to turn the record over. Yes, I do. That was great. I love that place. Happy day. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. In all the various uh, word in your attic recordings we've done in the last couple of years, it's been really interesting how various people we've talked to had set up little kind of online businesses. Do you remember when we talked to Lloyd Cole? Lloyd Cole did this thing where if you wrote to Lloyd Cole and said, would you write out the lyrics to, you know, this particular song that I absolutely love? 
he would write it out and uh, and he would post it to you and you'd pay a, a reasonable amount of money. And Billy Bragg, do you remember Billy Bragg was getting all that stuff out of the attic during lockdown yeah. and finding yeah, old yeah. posters and things and, and old T-shirts and all sorts of uh, memorabilia and just, just making them available, you know. And um, it struck me that this has now become an incredibly important part of the way people make, make a living, you know, because I got sent an email the other day about Nick Cave, who had a new record out, and somewhere in this email it mentioned cave things which is his website have you seen cave things i've uh, I've had a look yes it's absolutely unbelievable and the concept is that the stuff is all designed by nick cave well actually i'm sure nick cave does have a hand in it actually uh which makes it particularly attractive um and he sells records and he sells books he sells warren ellis egg cups the warren ellis pure exploitation egg cup he sells warren ellis combs sells pencils Lucky Charms. He sells complete tea sets. You're buying crockery. For 130 quid, you get a teapot and you get a cup and a saucer. <laughs> and you get, there's jewellery, talismans, tiles. There's a whole thing of, uh, of children's clothing with kind of uh, little slogans. One of them says, don't let them tell you there are no monsters. Uh, Nick Cave, to quote from him, you know, you can get lyrics, you can get rejected artworks that he's drawn and weren't used in sleeves uh, uh you can get um you can get t-shirts with with a there's one that says he's a ghost he's a god he's a man he's a guru and a big picture of nick cave 35 quid tote bags wrapping papers and and one of my absolute favorite things is <laughs> you can get a as a cashmere jumper range uh one of them emblazoned with a quote from his mum which says head high and fuck them all in cashmere, 450 quid. I mean, that's oh, mum. <laughs> God bless you, mum. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Yeah, so my mum used to say things like that. Yeah, no, yeah. she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's an odd business, isn't it, really? The stuff that you see you see in kind of catalogue form on people's websites. Yeah. We might, might see some something might flutter out of an album cover or something, you know offering a range of stuff. And is it not the case that nowadays selling a kind of holy relics, which these effectively are? They are, these are holy relics. relics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they, they is, is like anything else, it's been transformed by the internet in the sense that in the past, if you wanted to sell T-shirts for your band or whatever, you had to manufacture them first. And you had to invest in them. And you had and to estimate to, how many you might sell. So you've got a very difficult business. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. difficult business. Because you might sell a low, but if you've slightly underestimated, your profit is gone, you know, immediately yeah, totally. in those things. Whereas these things are they're kind of standard items, presumably, yeah. but just adapted for different artists. And so you don't have to manufacture them at all until people until people actually order them, and then they're just automatically done. Press the button, and, out comes and they're the sent out. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. We've we've done this. You know, there's word in your ear. Merchandise. You know, we we sell our own stuff. And the way this basically works is you you put the design up, and it's available in you know those different colours and different qualities and so forth. And then people order the stuff, and then it's it's made and it's manufactured and it's sent out really, really quickly. It's unbelievable how fast these yeah, things can turn around. But the other thing which was struck me about Nick Cave is, is Nick Cave a very merchandisable concept? I never think of Nick Cave as being 
you know, do you do you want to wear the Nick Cave uniform? If you're the kind of person that likes Nick Cave, surely you think of yourself as windswept, windswept and interesting and really individual. You you don't particularly want to sign up in an army, do you? Maybe, maybe I completely oh, I don't got that wrong. Because I think the thing is that that the people who sell a lot of merchandise, the people uh, people who stand for something, do you know what I mean? They 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 have a, they have an attitude. You know, they have, they represent something. They're symbolic of something. I mean, the people, you know, there must be a lot of punk rock T-shirts sold still. There's a lot of heavy metal T-shirts. They sort of stand a lot of rap acts, you know. But Nick Cave, it says kind of soulful and deep, and it says literary, doesn't it? And it says kind of left field and hip and thoughtful and characterful. And, you know, I think a lot of people can identify with I would want to identify. I would want to advertise themselves as that. <laughs> it's like they, we're, we're individuals. Here we all are wearing the same T-shirt. Wearing the same T-shirt. Uh, with uh, Nick Cave on it, I know. Yeah, I, I, I don't, don't know. Do. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, you, you may be right. And um, isn't it also the case that the bands are really selling, I mean, T-shirts particularly, isn't it the case that the bands are selling a lot of T-shirts the bands who wore a lot of T-shirts. Oh, no. right. So who yeah, so, you talk about what? Well, the, the Ramones, the Ramones, Ramones are the kind of classic case. Huh? All heavy metal groups, you know, yeah. all heavy metal groups have somebody wearing a T-shirt. Yeah, they do. A Steely Dan T-shirt, even though it's, re- you know, it's referred to in the, uh, in the um, lyrics of whatever it is, Showbiz Kids or whatever. Um, you know, it never seems to work in the same way. You know what I mean? There's something, there's certain bands... Who are T-shirt bands? No, you're right because you wear, by wearing them, you're going to look stones probably as well. You're going to look more like a member of the band. You Would sort of it? are. Yeah, you sort of are. You're going to work, and that's their kind of that's the working uniform, isn't it? And you're adopting it at the same time. So you know, is is the world of music? And I'm just going to put this thought out there, and people can you know decide whether I'm right or I'm wrong. Is the world divided into T-shirt bands? And not t-shirt bands, and they're very, very different things. T-shirt band stands for the kind of there's a kind of democracy about a t-shirt yeah. band, and the, and then there's a, an elitist quality about a non-t-shirt band. Let me have fifteen hundred words on that subject on my desk by tomorrow morning. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit. From this next bit, it struck me that this is a, a the anniversary of a really extraordinary record. And I'm sure you remember this coming out because on the 20th of April, 1982, uh, Frank Zappa released uh, a ship arriving too late to save a drowning witch. One of which tracks was uh, a track called "Valley Girl" by Moon Zappa, Moon Unit, his daughter. Do you remember that that, that impact of that record? It was a hit fairly soon after. And I thought it was absolutely incredible because at that stage, we had no idea who this social stereotype was. No, I suppose not. You know, and she does this thing about, I just bought some bitching clothes. Oh, my God, your toenails are like so grody. It's so awesome. That's first of all, I haven't heard the word awesome. You know, it's like tubular, barf out, gag me with a spoon. And the chorus goes, tosses her head and flips her hair. She's got a whole lot of nothing going on in there. And uh, it was just an extraordinary kind of social revelation you know and i think it's a bit like there are certain characters that were invented you know maybe basil faulty maybe maybe del boy uh loads of money there's the pr character invented by jessica hines in 20 
20. Do you remember that? 2012. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. that? Siobhan Sharp. Uh, maybe to some extent, uh, Alan Partridge. There are certain people who just become absolutely, uh, ma- they manage to epitomise certain yeah. characters in the social structure. And that was one of them. And I thought it was really amazing. And that that actually started a whole, the Sloan Ranger, like the, like the Sloan Ranger being being identified by Peter York in, in, in the 80s, you know. And suddenly that became part of uh, the landscape. And um, yeah, I, I thought that was, that was really interesting because the whole industry then, you know, would the film Clueless, had Alicia Silverstone, you know, would that, I mean, that was all based on that notion, don't you think? Of well, it was, a, it became a kind of stock rich. type in, uh, in uh, movies and television, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Jennifer Aniston's character in, uh, in Friends is, it's not a valley girl because she's come from the other side of the country, but it's kind of similar in the sense yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, there's yeah. nothing I would rather do than go shopping. You know yeah. what I mean? There's that that part of it's the like uh, airheaded. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely, and enjoying being airheaded. Yeah, you know, reminds me of one of my favourite bits in in Friends when uh, Monica has a, a new friend oh, a new yes. female friend oh it's wonderful. and uh, and and, uh, and Jennifer Aniston Rachel gets um, gets slightly jealous about this and she said you you didn't go shopping with her that's right <laughs> he said yes i did she said wait you didn't go to bloomingdale's did you she says yes i did but it was only once it meant nothing and i was thinking of you all the time <laughs> She's just absolutely brilliant, right? <laughs> That's such a clever gang, isn't it? It is know, fantastic. I know. But I tell you, the, the one legacy of the Valley Girl, you know, I mean, nobody talks about Grody and Tubular any longer, but the greatest legacy of the Valley Girl is, is, is the arrival of an adjective, which is now... You cannot move for this you, I know what you're going to say. Being it's awesome, used, isn't it? It's awesome, which yeah. you can now, it's perfectly acceptable awesome. to use to describe the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel or a new pizza topping. <laughs> it's completely acceptable. Absolutely anything yeah. is awesome. So all the kind of gradations of, um, of quality in adjectives, and, you know, I suppose this is particularly the case when, when you when you think back to the days of print reviews of records or whatever, and yeah, you, you, know, you had to find a million different ways of saying good or yeah. or, or terrible. Intriguing, and, and, all, and all of these have now been just completely supplanted by awesome or tragic or whatever. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. a, a, absolutely nothing in between, is there? Nothing so in awesome, between. Not- an epic. There's another one, isn't it? You know, and legend. Somebody's a legend. legend. You know, legend. You're a legend by simply buying somebody a half a bitter. You become a legend. You know, so so. Well, you're well, a legend you now. You're a really legend. You're a legend if you're over fourteen. You're doing any of those things. You know, legend implies, my God, are you still alive? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and but but they all Is that this- kind of deliberate overstatement said with no feeling whatsoever, goes back to the Valley Girl. You know what I mean? It's, it the, it's, the, kind of, it's the kind of blankness of her um, affect, as we would say, Yeah, you know, combined with the ridiculous over-effusive nature of the words that she uses. 
that makes the Valley Girl thing. And that, the you know, the, the invasion of awesome is the greatest and, you know, one of the saddest legacies of that whole movement, it strikes me. It is, and it's, but it's also the idea that that Emojo must play a part in this. That the the people's vocabulary must be getting smaller. They're just just not coming up with the words, you know. I'm always I'm always very frustrated when when uh, when when people die and people post on on Twitter. Um, there are no words, and you think, oh, for God's sake, there are millions. Just yes, sitting there something. That's just quite... because you just can't be. You're just sidestepping the issues. There are no words. Try <laughs> just make an effort, please. We're, we're talking about why are we talking about the, the whole business of kind of coming up against uh, younger people's way of looking at the world. I, I got I got sent this record, Mark. This is my record, okay? I'm holding up for the benefit of anybody who's not seen this. My uh, my compilation album, Deep 70s, which I got is coming soon. out soon. Yeah, yeah. You've got it soon. And if you were looking at it, you'd see that on the front of it, it says, David Hepworth, Deep 70s, underrated cuts from a misunderstood decade, and a big graphic, a graphic of, a, of a 12-inch vinyl you know, LP. And it's it's rather exciting. Anyway, I put it on the side in the in the you know in the in the in the front room. It's just on the side on a shelf. And my youngest daughter had just come around this morning. And of course A she doesn't notice it at first. And then after about half an hour she goes, What's that? <laughs> <laughs> It's fairly self-explanatory, isn't it? Pretty self-explanatory. Also, it's I would have thought fairly visible, but you know, I may be wrong. Absolutely, it's fairly obvious that your father has compiled a vinyl album. In fact, a double album. Yes. It's like what further explanation do you require? You know, what's that? I'm just not going to make the effort to think. I'm not going to make not going to make the effort to investigate. I know. I hope she's not listening. (laughs) The Word Podcast. What's wrong with being sexy? This word in your ear is also brought to you by NordVPN. And VPN stands for, what does it stand for, Mark? Virtual Private Network. That's absolutely correct, sir. Uh, Which is a way you can obviously keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home or abroad. Um, It protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity. At the same time, it also enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50 different countries. This means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from around the world. And uh, my latest discovery in my wanderings via NordVPN, Mark, is comes from the, the wonderful world, which is Swedish Netflix, which I heartily <laughs> recommend to anybody. It's the best to have absolutely everything I want to see. And um, I, I'm talking about a particular jewel I stumbled upon this week, which is Gonks Go Beat. Are you familiar with I'm Gonk familiar Go? with this. This is a movie that came out in about when I was 63, was it 65? 65, I think. Oh, 65. And it's 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 brilliant combination of the things that were fashionable at the time. One was the invention of gonks, 
The other yes. was beat music. The third thing was sci-fi. <laughs> I suppose the fourth thing was the kind of uh, the, the the upsurge in light entertainment comedy stars. So it's a mixture of all those. Let's throw all those together and it can't possibly fail to be commercial. And it the, did really well. The plot revolves around a notional battle for domination of the earth between Beatland and Ballad Isle. Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's actually it's actually beat music on one side or it's soupy ballads on the other side. And it's and got uh, Lulu, hasn't it's it? It's got Lulu and the Lovers, it's got the Nashville teens, it's got the Graham Bond organization. So the first musician you see in it is a very confused looking Jack Ginger Bruce. Baker. Is it Jack, Jack Bruce because a bass player with uh, with Grey Bond's organization. It, anyway, it was money. Why, why wouldn't you do it's it? It's absolutely bizarre. So on a more serious level, the, the the film that I ended up watching most of, actually, where, uh, yet again, God, I've seen it so many times, and I think it's probably the the best film made about the Second World War. I mean, it's a bold claim, I know. This is the best film made about the Second World War, certainly by people who had been involved with the Second World War and therefore knew whereof they spoke. And that's, of course, The Cruel Sea, The Cruel Sea with oh, yeah. Jack Hawkins. Well, Den- Denham, Elliot and Jack Hawkins. I mean, who, Denham, uh, Elliot. Denham, it was in the Air Force, wasn't it? Jack Hawkins, it was in the, in the, the Welsh Fusiliers, I think, yeah. But, but it's, uh, you know, because the real enemy, as they say in the prologue, is, is The Cruel Sea. It's not the enemy, it's The Cruel Sea. And, and they play uh, you know, a convoy escort um, uh, crew. In, in the North Atlantic. It's a, it's a brilliant film anyway. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So if you want to find all that kind of stuff, actually, what another thing I found about, about touring the world via Netflix is that you have different territories in different uh, country, uh, different ways of categorizing films in different territories. So the Swedes, in for instance, have a section called Family Cozy Time. 
great. Good to know. <laughs> That's great. In France, obviously, they have critically acclaimed auteur cinema. That's this section. is so perfect as it regards uh, the nationalities. But, but in the USA, I couldn't believe this when I came upon it. They have a section called violent films. Violent films, like say, I feel like some violence. You know, you point. want to. That's right. Yeah, that'll hit the spot. Hey, kids. So if you, get if you want to find out about all this, you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear. You get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and also a bonus gift. And it's risk-free because there's a money-back guarantee, 30 days. Full details, as ever, below in the show notes. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. And now we're joined by our Britpop correspondent, Alex Gold. And um, you were saying, what were you saying about the word awesome, Alex? There is a popular beat number in the ether space that is dedicated to awesomeosity, uh, it's called Everything is Awesome. It's by Tegan and Sarah, and it was written for the Lego movie, which is obviously a favourite picture flick of mine. And um, can, I, can I just read you a verse? Yeah, go on. Go on. Okay, here we go. It's beautiful. Blue skies, brown, bouncy springs. We just named two awesome things. A Nobel <laughs> Prize, a piece of string. You know what's awesome? Everything. <laughs> dogs, as, dogs as fleas, allergies, a book of Greek antiquities, brand new pants, a very old vest. Awesome items are the best. Trees, flogs, clogs, they're awesome. Rocks, clocks and socks, they're awesome. Figs and jigs and twigs, that's awesome. Everything you see or think or say is awesome. That, that's basically a, a, a rewriting of a few of my favourite things from Sound of Music, isn't it? I, I mean, suppose exactly it is, the same yeah. concept. It is. Found paper patches tied up with strings, isn't it? So anyway, Britpop. Is Britpop coming back, Alex? Well, something odd happened. It, oh, it appears to be all around us. Go on. It's back and how. It seems to be uh, that most of the middling Britpop bands of Days of Yore are ten times bigger than they were the first time around in some bizarre... And they're all touring, aren't they? They're all touring. Echo Belly, Dodgy, Luke Haynes, Boo Radley's Lush, Shed 7, Sleeper, all touring at the moment. Shed 7? Shed Shed 7 7 massive. Yeah, yeah. Reverend (laughs) and the Bakers. Remember Reverend and the Bakers? How could Shed 7 be massive? When you say massive, do you what size venues are they playing? I'm pretty sure they're playing arenas. Um... You know, that, that size of venue, you know, sizable, sizable places. We're talking many, many, many thou of people. Um, and of course, you know, it, it's just really, really bizarre. Reverend the Makers is a really good case in point. You know, they were sort of, uh, if anybody's not familiar with them, they were kind of, they came off the back end of the Arctic Monkeys. They were, they were friends with them and they sort of kind of shuffled in on their coattails. Um, and uh, fast forward to 2022, and they too are playing arenas, I do believe, and have a very, very sizable fan base. It's incredible, um, isn't it? It's bizarre. It really, well, it's the it? same. It's exactly what happened in, you know, all the those 60s bands, you know, the, the Neil Youngs and the Paul McCartneys and the, you know, Paul Simons and, you know. Well, what's all... happened is that, yeah, all those original fans are still there, yeah. plus their sons. Um, yeah. So they've effectively yeah. d- doubled by the, their fan base by association. You know how many people the Strokes played to uh, the other week in Argentina? Go on. And the, the Strokes are a band I still personally consider quite indie, even though they, you know, they had quite a lot of success. 
94,000 people. That's not no. indie. That's, that's definitely that's so not well, indie. That's a whole tour, right? Uh, no, that was one gig. One gig? 94,000 people. Uh, Liam Gallagher doing two nights at Nebworth, a feat which in 1997, whenever it was, was unparalleled by his yeah. former band Oasis. It was yeah. big news. Liam Gallagher plays two nights at uh, Nebworth in 2022 and nobody really bats an eyelid. It's just expected. So can we, and Mark and I were talking about it the other day, talking about how good Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets are and they're oh. currently currently on tour absolutely all over the place. And we were saying, has Nick Mason won Pink Floyd? <laughs> you know, if it were a competition, is he the guy that's won? He probably has. Oh, he has, uh, surely. And, has Liam Gallagher won Oasis? Is that the case, oh, Ali? 100%. I mean, there's so much expectation on Noel, I think, because he wrote all those songs. He'll always be, you know, that, that brief window in the 90s will always be the yardstick by which he's measured. Whereas um, Liam, I think Liam, in many people's eyes, has kind of blossomed in his own way over the years. You know, he was the troublesome oik who's somehow moulded himself into being this kind of man of the people. Um, he does exactly what you'd want Liam to do. He offers nothing new whatsoever, but somehow he's all the more lovable for it. He just and gives I, people I understand that he has a kind of arthritis problem, isn't he? I mean, he's, yes. he's, he's yes. talking about he might have to have a hip replacement operation. So I thought it was really, I was really, really felt for him, you know, because uh, I, I thought it was particularly ironic because the people who usually have to have their uh, Stephen Tyler had a knee replacement, you know. Billy Joel had a double hip replacement. In fact, Eddie Van Halen had a hip replacement. A lot of these people, because they, they actually throw themselves around on stage. The irony is Liam Gallagher's stagecraft <laughs> really involved him just sitting on the drum riser when he wasn't singing, drinking lager and smoking Benson and Hedges, and then standing <laughs> in front of the microphone and doing the bare minimum of movement. So, but I feel sorry for the old geezer. Don't you? God almighty. I do actually, but I think he's kind of brought it on himself. If he drunk less lager and more milk, got his calcium, maybe you know, maybe things would be different. Oh, but, um, okay. But he's also an avid runner as well. He started running, I think, and he started to run every day, and I think that's what's what's kind of done it. Um, but right. it's the irony of ironies, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we got a bit of correspondence from uh, Chuck Lonson, uh, Patreon supporter. Um, and and he wants to know because he's off to he's off to I think probably this this very evening see Little Feet in the United States. There, so they're touring behind the forty fifth anniversary of, of their live album Ways of Columbus, and they're playing the seventeen songs that made up that that album. And um, current lineup contains one founding member, Bill Payne. And also, it's got Sam Clayton on the congas and Kenny Grandney on the bass. And the bass, they've both been with the band since 1972. Fred Tackett has been with the band since 1987. And he wants to know, is he actually seeing Little Feet? Does that constitute Little Feet? Does that does. officially constitute Little Feet? You think it does? I yeah? think it does. I, mean, I think what, you know, it's very hard to say. Either what matters to you most, that you're in the presence of genuine legends who were members of the group original members or that it sounds like you could probably go and see a tribute band i'm sure you could i'm sure there are lots of them would sound infinitely more like little feet doing time loves a hero than these guys 
But I mean, at least at least those are actual members of the group. Do you think it counts? But then again, we're back to the same old argument about the Stones. Is the Stones the Rolling Stones without Charlie Watts? I don't know. There's no. only two members of the original Stones. Are they? The, 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 the difficult thing with the Little Feet is there's two Little Feet. There's three Little Feet, actually. There's the Little Feet led by Lowell George. Yeah. And then Lowell George kind of lost the interest. And then you got the Little Feet led by Bill Payne. And then you got the Little Feet reassembled later on with Fred Tackett, who, to be fair, Fred Tackett was there in the early days. Yeah. He's a, he was a mate of Lowell George from 1967 or something like this. And so he, he is, he's not an, he's not an Ari Vist, Fred Tackett, but, uh, but you've taken away with the removal of little of Lowell George, obviously, many years ago, by his you know, he withdrew of his own accord and then he died. You took away a unique fingerprint, which nothing, no tribute group in the world can ever can ever replace. You know, he was an utterly unique musician. And uh, and so there well, was you're always gonna struggle, aren't you, when 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 yeah. when the lead singer and the front man is no longer there. Yeah, that it's yeah. very very hard to imagine. That's the same group. So, yeah, but it's I the, guess the, must be good. I thought I was pretty impressed that the, the little feet I saw I saw in 1977 have still got three of those members in it. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Bit of but a different not, thing, uh, perhaps. But perhaps the most extreme example is this: is, is the sugar babes situation. Is the sugar babes <laughs> the sugar babes when none of the sugar babes are still in the sugar babes? <laughs> There's not what not not one of them. So. No, so basically they, they cycle members so frequently that eventually none of the original band were in the band and this this incarnation of the Sugar Babes was uh, was comprised of completely completely different people. But it was still the Sugar Babes. Well, they'd never been in the Sugar Babes at any point. No, well, no, no, they were now, but at the beginning. So but they're, 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 right. members kept dropping and being replaced. It's like that theory that, you, you know, you're... Your entire cell structure regenerates over the course of seven years. So, you know, in seven years' time, you you technically are not the same person, but but you are. It's kind of like that with the, with a girl band, I suppose. But, <laughs> um, That's great. My brain hurts. The word podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. Well, we're joined by another birthday guest, and how lovely to see him again. It's John Montagna. John, lovely to see you. Good morning. Good we to remember see you that uh, that room that you're in from last time, where you talked very, very entertainingly about Paul McCartney's bass lines. That's right. That's right. And you have a a, a, a couple of questions. Or a question for the agenda today. Right. Right. So this birthday of mine, I just turned fifty. Ooh. Um, big milestone. I'm and... dreading being fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody seems to be saying that to me. Oh, I'm so afraid to be 50. <laughs> I, I, I was always afraid to not be 50. You know, speaking, speaking of, of McCartney, I saw a quote from his recently where they, uh, it was from the first uh, Melvin Bragg interview. What was the show that, that he used to a have? The South Bank show, probably. South yeah. Bank show. Yeah, they got McCartney as the first South Bank guest. And I think they asked him about getting old. And at one point he goes, I'll be lucky to get old. Uh, so that was, you know, I thought that was kind of my deep, favorite but... gag on that front was Willie Nelson's 70th birthday. Willie Nelson looks fantastically older than he yeah. actually is. And somebody <laughs> got up and said, Willie, you don't look 70. But I remember a time when you did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like let's, 20 let's, years ago. Let's <laughs> do great. all those gags, all those gags. So Keith Richards, the wisest thing Keith Richards ever said was, the older you get, the older you want to get. Which is really <laughs> true. It's really That's true. Plus, you be Blake, oh, you, yeah. be, you be Blake, the, uh, the great ragtime piano player, is the, sure. the quote attributed to him on his 100th birthday was if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care taken of myself. Taken better care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So anyway, it's, anyway. it's your 50th. So, anyway, yeah, and that made so, you think of what? Well, it was actually during my 40s that I it occurred to me that a lot of the music that I love the most and has inspired me the most was made by people in their 40s. When it started to dawn on me as a musician, you know, crossing 40, I was like, no, wait a second. You know, I was like, ah, I'm not young anymore. I was like, well, wait a second. So I brought a, a, a few samples. All right. I'm, prob- yeah. I'm probably the only person that prefers this to All Things Must Pass. Wow. So I you're holding actually, up a copy of George Harrison. Nine. Called That's a good Cloud record. Nine, is that record? Oh, it's a really good record. Yes. Has he got yes. When We Was Fab on it? I can't it's got it's When We Was Fab on it. Yeah. It's got When We Was Fab, Got My Mind Set On You, Fish On The Sand. That's I just, right. Just like track for track, there is not one bad song on Yeah, it's this. a great record. And I just feel like he's a guy with like with nothing to prove on right. here. Right. He's yeah. like, I'm going to have some fun with my mates in the studio and you're not going to tell me what to do. And I just, I just, I love it. And then again, uh, give my regards to Broad Street. I'm sorry for my ring light reflecting on the, on yeah, the LP yeah. cover. And Tug of War, my my favorite McCartney album. Really? Yeah, Tug of War's wow. a great record. Yeah. I, you guys used a great phrase the other day when, when you become such a fan of someone that you have, that you own everything they've ever done. You're no longer a fan. You're a supporter. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a, a McCartney supporter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I'm definitely like that with McCartney. Every fireman, every, you know, all the stuff. And Tug of War, by, you know, by far my favorite one. Um, Sinatra at the Sands. He was fifty. Yes. Yeah. Uh, was it? Yeah. Really. He announces it on the. Oh yeah. In the show. In the show. Like I love. I'm sorry. I love the the intro to that record, where it yes. where you, it starts with the symbols, doesn't it? It's, yeah. Yes. Yes. The uh, Sands. Welcome to the Sands. So proud to present. Crab right. yeah. Basie and his wonderful band. Yeah, and so the man in his music, Frank Sinatra, <laughs> and the audience, and they're watching what is effectively proven to be the greatest show in history. Correct. <laughs> and the audience Correct. just go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know what exactly. I mean? there's, there's not a whoop to be heard at all in that right. intro. Right. Anyway, sorry, and, carry on. No, but that was there's a long. It's on the on the. It's called the tea break. It's like a monologue right. that is like yeah. 10 yeah. minutes of, of him just talking. And he talks about how he just turned 50. Right. There's a rumor going around that I turned 50. And I want to tell you, it's a dirty communist lie. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So I thought, oh, okay, so he's 50. Miles Davis, the second great uh, quintet, he was in his 40s. Right. So all of the st- t- uh, Sting, 10 Summoner's Tales, yeah. all the stuff that I really, really love was made by guys who were a little bit Old and, and and women who were, who were in their in their forties, and I was wondering if you guys had any sort of opinions of your own about this about artists who, well, when they cross a certain age, and the 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 characteristics of an artist who is aging gracefully, 
and what that looks well, like. Well, I've got three people I'd mention. It might be really obvious to you. Leonard Cohen, Lucinda Williams, and Nick Lowe. Because I think okay. they were all working in a mindset that was slightly older than mm. they were at the time. And they kind okay. of grew into those people. Nick Lowe is much more convincing, I think, as a kind of disillusioned middle-aged man. Okay, he was, was a kind be, of thrusting youth, you know. That was going uh, to be my question. What, do you, what did you mean when you say, like, a, 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 an older mindset? Well, Nick Lowe's songs now are mostly about slightly remorseful and slightly regretful. Yes, they're not just, about tackling, you know, they're not about, hey, everybody, I'm this age and I'm really dealing with it. Right. It's just the reverse. Lately, not, I've not, let myself slide. You know, it's the idea that he's looking back to the person he once was, and he's a kind of crumbling, um, dilapidated <laughs> version of that. Right. And, I think, trying, and I think Lucinda Williams it. is quite the same, actually. Yeah. You know, that she's sort of, you know, she's now kind of just dealing with the complexities of middle age, not really being able to deal with it, but just expressing it, you know. I think right. Nick Lowe does it fantastically well. Yeah, he does. And there was that song, There's Hope for Us All. Yeah. When even I, a feckless man who's thrown away every chance or something like that, can find someone mm. to break his fall, there's hope for us all. And it's the idea that Nick Lowe writes about kind of having achieved some level of domestic contentment after a lifetime of kind of throwing it away. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know anybody else who's done that. You know, and I think I think you're right. Leonard Cohen and Lucindy Williams and these kind of people, and people like James Taylor, you yeah, know, they really yeah. well. But I think Nick Lowe it, it does it better than anybody, uh, and yeah. it made a series of wonderful records. One of which was actually called "At My Age," isn't it? At my age, yeah. You know, yeah. And those images, that untouched takeaway I bought home the other day. Has, might have a lot to say. Yes. <laughs> just right. Everything just sitting there looking at himself and thinking, I've just look at me. This is So if you haven't if you haven't investigated those yet, that would be my that would be my tip to you. Okay. Um, well but, uh, also I mean I'm a huge fan anyway and, and a hugely underrated bass player too. Oh, oh yeah. bass player. I mean underrated just, in yeah. every respect. Yeah. yeah. yeah so and what are you doing for your birthday or have you had it? My birthday was on Monday, and we right. were actually in Arizona. We have a house out there that we're sort of having to clear out and prepare to sell. So we just, uh, my son and I flew back yesterday. So I'm just kind of waking up, actually. It's 8, it's eight o'clock in the morning out here in New York. So, Oh, uh, well. Just, uh, <laughs> good, well. Have a good day. You're uh, listening to The Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. And we're back. Alex, what have we got coming up we should tell people about? Well, we just happen to have the event of the year coming up on Saturday, June the 18th. Um, Absolutely. Which happens to be Paul Thumsaloff McCartney's 80th birthday. And we we felt it was the right thing to do as his, as his good pal to throw him a party. An unofficial yep. party. So that's what we're doing at Opera Holland Park. We've booked the weather, um, which is going to be fantastically sunny. And um, for anybody who was there last year, um, you'll, of course, know what a, what a wonderful day it was. And anybody who wasn't, we highly recommend you buy we a ticket. We should say it's a gorgeous, tented venue. Isn't it? It's outside, but there's a, there's a canvas stretched above you in the unlikely event that it would rain. And it's just out in this gorgeous park, isn't it? Licensed bars. Licensed bars, and, bookstores. Uh, and, uh, it couldn't all, be more all, all the best people are there, and uh, we're, uh, we're lining up 
a, a selection of people who are going to talk about Paul McCartney and what he means to them and their particular their particular take on Paul McCartney. So it's a unique opportunity to celebrate a once-in-a-lifetime event, Paul McCartney's 80th birthday. So that's our Word in Your Park, which is on June the 18th. 18th. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. June the 18th, that's correct. And you can get tickets at wiyelondon.com or there'll be a, a link in the show notes uh, of this very show as well. So, And we should mention some of the word in your attic things we've done recently. There have been some really yes. good ones, haven't there? John Ronson, we did Edgar Wright, it was a while ago. Actually. Stephen Wilson very recently. Alexis Petridis, who was fantastic. Uh, Viv Groskop, Stuart Lee, Jenny Colgan. Um, but there was a lovely one. Actually, I don't know if we put it up yet, but it's coming up in the next couple of days with a guy called Nick Durden. Um, yes. Who's written this wonderful book about the afterlife of fame, isn't it? It's, it's uh, called, it called Exit Stage Left. That's right. Nick Durden, Durden on the Curious Afterlife of Pop, of pop Stars. stars. Uh, and which is, you know, pretty much explains what it's about, actually. And it's funny, I was just looking um, earlier on uh, the the interview with uh, Alex Capranus of uh, Franz Ferdinand. It's particularly poignant because he seems to me to be eaten up by the fact that his band aren't still quite as big a deal as they were in 2004. You know, he, he's quite confessional about the fact that it's, it's the kind of decline in public attention <laughs> really eats away, eats away at people. Yeah, I thought it was very honest to him to say all yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people must feel the same by just pretending that they don't, you know. Yeah, yeah. That book so, is full of all of it, isn't it? You know, Viv it, Albertine talking about the end of the slits being like, like a, the end of a marriage, you know. And yeah. Eddie Tenpole Tudor talks about how he's desperately trying to keep the flame alive because it gives him all the love that he never, love and attention he never got for his mother. So interesting. And it's funny, I think it's an instructive contrast between that and another guest that we had recently, uh, who's David Scott of the Pearl Fishers, one of my favourite. Uh, musicians uh, and david uh, has a life where he's kind of he does a lot of broadcasting stuff he does lecturing and so forth and he is, does the pearl fishes it is kind of passion project he's he's found a way to do it but it strikes me he's he's very he's not bitter at all is not he? about the fact about the fact that they've never kind of been a chart busting outfit and um he's less bitter because he's never had that that glimmer Really, I, I think don't that's really interesting. You know, it's like it's like uh, Elvis Costello's relationship with with uh, Oliver's army. You know that it, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It's a blessing yes, that got him all that attention. It's a curse that people want to hear it, which you can't really play it anymore now for obvious reasons lyrically. But you're stuck with that, and you're constantly living up to that kind of level of success. And if you just tinker along as David Scott is and and, uh, and make a living, you're perfectly happy. He's yeah, absolutely no grateful, grateful to have the opportunity grateful to, to have the, the audience at all. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so those two coming up soon, and and loads more behind them. Uh, please stay tuned. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.